The fear of the Lord is how, um, is the opposite of foolishness. And I really believe that the fear of the Lord is the foundation for receiving everything that you can receive from the Lord. I believe it is the foundation, the rock that you can um, receive and understand everything about God, everything that he wants to say to you, everything that he wants to give you, I believe comes first from, you are able to receive it first from a fear, having a, a fear, an understanding of fear of the Lord. Um, I had a, a young person, well, not that young, actually, probably, well, whatever, a young adult, text me a little while ago and say, um, they were telling me that they had decided that they were not going to serve God anymore. It was too hard for them. They had said they had been trying for a few years, and they had given their life to God. They had given, given up all of these things that they were doing, given up drugs, given up sex, given up all of this stuff, trying to live this life, you know, and it was just too hard, and the other was too easy, or was so much easier, and that's what they were going to do, and they were letting me know, and they were not being mean about it at all. Super sweet, very sad moment. And they were just telling, they thanked me, but just was kind of letting me know, I, I've decided I'm done. And then they said, why is it so easy for you when it's so hard for me? Why does it seem like following God is so easy for you when it's hard for me? And oh, I had to think about it for a little while. And I really didn't go into detail. I tried to more encourage the, this person. Instead of just like answering them with this truth of like, the, you know, a down thing, I tried to more encourage them into the Lord. But here's the truth. I had a fear. I have a fear of the Lord. And this person doesn't. When it comes down to it, there isn't that respect and reverence and fear of God that I so want to grow more in, but I do understand. The fear of the Lord is what keeps us close to the Lord. The fear of God keeps you knit together with him. In the fear of God, you receive your healing. In the fear of God, you receive your um, finances. You receive your family. You, re you receive every blessing that he has for you. In the fear of God, you receive love and you're able to give love to God in, his, in the fear of him. Now, I know that the fear of God is something that gets really, it freaks some people out when we say fear and God. Because there's, do you know that there's over 40,000 denominations in the Christian church? 40,000, right? That's a ton of denominations. And they all believe different things. And the main thing that makes them all Christian is that they believe that Jesus Christ is the Lord, is is God. He's the son of God. That's what makes you Christian. You believe that Jesus Christ is the son of God and God raised him from the dead. Now, probably some of those denominations are wacko and don't actually believe that if you got down to it, but supposedly that's what they're supposed to believe. So in these 40,000 denominations, 40,000 plus denominations, you find some denominations that teach things um, that God is angry at you all the time. And watch out because he is going to kill. He wants to kill you. And at any moment, boom, you are dust. He is angry at you all the time. He really hates you. He thinks you suck. And then you have other, you have this like radical other side. So that's one radical side of it all. Am I wearing this wrong? Because I hear it doing that a lot. 
Kenny, I feel like every time I teach, I end up wearing this thing wrong and they have to come and fix it. I don't know. I usually don't, in youth, I just use a handheld because it's easier. But anyway, oh well. It's fine. Um, so, so oh, what was I saying? It was good. Oh, so one side is this strong, God's mad, he sucks, it's bad. And then the other side is this, Jesus loves you so much that there's nothing you could ever do that's wrong. And you could do anything you want and live however you want. And it's all bubbles and happies and flowers and everything is good. And there are these two extreme sides and neither one of them is right. And, but our, so we fall under the, we are denomination. We're not a, we're non-denominational church. And, um, but we really fall under, you know, there's like all these different umbrellas and levels of umbrellas, but we would fall under the charismatic church. And then there's, you know, smaller umbrellas under that. And the charismatic church, you know, in the past few years, there's been a really, really big movement, this grace movement. And I'm not saying all of that is bad. Um, there's a lot of really amazing things. The grace of God is a real thing and it is good. And there is radical grace of God for your life. And there is love and there is forgiveness and there is instant forgiveness. And the Bible does say that instantly he washes your sins away that he takes them and he throws them as far as the east is from the west you know what's cool about that you probably know this already but i say this in youth all the time east and west never meet if he had said i throw them as far as the north is from the south well eventually you're going to touch because north and south have pulled but east and west don't so they literally as far as the east is from the west you, it just keeps going. There's no end to how far away God sends your sin. It's infinite, gone, and it's gone. All of that is true, and it's all really, really good. But what happens is that sometimes we, we so get caught up in this, like, Jesus loves you, right? Like this, like, happy, like, oh, everything is perfect all the time, that we get really afraid of this word fear. We fear the word the fear. And we are super afraid to say you need to fear God, that you should be afraid of him. We're super afraid to say that God has killed people. We're always saying God never has killed anybody. Well, that's not true. God, God killed a ton of people. Like our happy children's story that we tell our kids all the time is about Noah and the ark where literally he annihilated everybody like, in a really awful way. They all drowned. Like that is not, by the way, okay, side note. Noah's Ark is not this, like, fluffy, happy story where Noah's cuddling with a, a sheep, right? Like, Noah's Ark, like, the, it is flooding, and people are probably just screaming and climbing. And, I mean, it, this isn't, Noah and his family are having to listen to people die underwater. It is, this is not some happy, loving story. Plus, you have to be in a boat with animals for a really long time. It's just really not this happy little story that we tell our kids all the time. And then there's rainbows and everything's, you know, no, it's really gnarly. Our God is a gnarly God. Our God is a wild God. He is an angry God. He is a, he has true anger um, that ha, um, against sin and against the enemy and against evil. He hates it, violently hates it. And he still feels that way. God, our God has feelings. He has real feelings. Feelings aren't bad. And God God's feelings towards all things evil and bad are hatred, deep, 
true hatred. That is how God feels about sin. Any sin, all sin. Any sin that contradicts his goodness, he hates it. So if we say, oh, everything's all happy, that's a lie. And what that does is it steals the goodness of God from the lives of people. And so we super get afraid of it, and we, we don't want to talk about it, and, and, and I understand because people have, have said it so wrong for so long. People have, you know, there has been this, you know, sinners in the hands of an angry God. I'm going to smash you with my hammer, my baseball bat type thing. And so we need to understand the Bible is filled with this term, the fear of God, in the New Testament and the Old Testament. This is not an Old Testament you know, out-of-date thing. New and old talks about the fear of God. In fact, in the New Testament, it says you should fear God who can kill you and send you to hell, is what it says. So this is an interesting thing that, um, that a lot of times, again, because we want to save people, that we steer, steer away from it. We think uh, a lot of times in Christian circles, there is this Radical need to get people saved. And burst out of this deep and desperate need to get people saved and to pull people into the kingdom of God, um, which is fantastic. Sometimes we want to package this Christianity that we have in a different package than it really is. We have this thing that's Christianity. It's this truth, this it is to be a follower of Jesus, a disciple of Jesus, and there are certain things that it involves and includes. And it's truth, and you can't change it. It is what it is. And But what we do is we say, hmm, well, there are a lot of people who aren't going to want to change how they live. So I am going to take this wrapping paper, and I'm going to wrap this Christianity walk that I have up in this wrapping paper, and I'm going to put it in this fancy little bow, and I'm going to cover up the fact that they need to walk away from their sins and sin no more, like Jesus said. I'm going to cover up that this is a lifestyle. It is not just a once a year show up at church when you feel like it to make yourself feel good. This is a, you know, like all of these things. I'm going to wrap it up and I'm going to hide all of these truths of what my life, what our lives should look like to try to win people into the kingdom of God. But when we do that, what we're really doing is lying. We're, we're literally like tricking. It's like a Ponzi. It's like literally trying to trick people in to a fake thing. Like, don't trick someone into fake religion. We want them to really know what they're getting into before they get into it. And we have what we have in Christianity is so good that we don't need to wrap it up in a fake package. What we need to do is live it, really live it so they can see what it really is. And then with eyes wide open, they can jump in full, full force and then they'll stay. And so that's what happens. We have a lot of churches today that wonderful, loving, good churches that so desperately want to get people saved that they will say things like, um, everyone is welcome, come as you are, um, no, you know, like you will feel, you always feel welcome, you'll never feel uncomfortable, this is where you'll feel loved, and this is all going to be all, whatever, blah, blah, blah. And, um, if you don't ever feel uncomfortable in church, then that is a terrible church. And you should leave that church right away because church should make you uncomfortable. Church should challenge you 
every time you're there. It should make you itch inside because you have to change things about yourself to become who Jesus wants you to be, more like our Savior who, ha- who has said that these things will follow those who believe in my name. They will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. They will do great and might greater works than Jesus will they do. Those who, who walk in and own the name of Jesus. So that's the Christianity that we have to sell is people who walk in and own Jesus. Instead of watering it down so much that they come in, they like, oh, then you won't go to hell and you'll feel really good. And if you feel depressed, then you won't feel depressed anymore. And if you've been feeling like you've been attacked, then you won't be attacked anymore. And you'll have a family and you'll have joy all the time. And, and you know, and, and you won't feel depressed. Well, that's silly. That's not true. If they feel depressed before they got saved, they'll probably still feel depressed again after they get saved. So don't tell them they're not going to feel that because then they're going to think they're not really saved and they're not going to know who Jesus really is. And if we say, if we make these false promises to trick people into something, then it's like tricking someone into buying a timeshare. Garrett and I on our honeymoon almost bought a timeshare. Now, I have no problem with timeshares, but I could not afford milk when we got married, let alone a timeshare. So we went, we, we went on this honeymoon. It was a beautiful honeymoon. We were staying at the Hilton and then they, we, there was a deal, right? They always have the deals and you can go get this free, awesome stuff if you go to these timeshare meetings. So we did. We went to a timeshare meeting and we were like, we decided, we're like, listen, we are not buying, right? Like, no. We're like, yeah, getting our free stuff, getting out of there. But sure enough, my husband the sucker. He can hear me. He, he would agree. So we get in there and I'm like, they can say whatever they want. Doesn't matter. Not happening. And then they start reducing the price and they start reducing the price. And he's looking at me and he's like, that sounds really good. And I'm like, no, we did. Right. And then they keep reducing it. And then we're like, no, we're walking. And then they're like, okay, my manager would fire me, but I'm gonna offer you this, you know? And you're like, oh my gosh, your manager's going to fire you. Sure. So sure enough, they talked it down. It came down to like the price of milk, right? It was this time. And apparently, and now we're going to get to go to Hilton's every year, anywhere in the world and blah, 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 blah. So it sounds all really good. And we've packaged it in this and we're like, okay, if this is really the truth. And we said, is there anything else you're not telling us about this timeshare? Or is this, is what you're telling us exactly the truth? And they said, there is nothing else. This is what it is. And so we sign the papers, we go into the room, they're, you know, they're giving us all these presents and whatever. And then about the second to the last paper out of a stack of this many is this cleaning fee. And in the cleaning fee, it's like a thousand extra dollars or 10,000, I don't know, something, somewhere between one and $10,000 a year. I don't remember how much it was. And at any moment, this fee can go up to as much and it lasts forever. So this whole thing of your, your children will inherit it and all of that stuff. Well, they're also going to inherit this cleaning fee that could be a million dollars a year if you decide it, well, you want it to be when, when I die. And so I'm sitting there and I am just sweating and angry and I'm on my honeymoon and I'm like, I hate this place. And I was like, no, nope, I am getting out. And they were like, well, I'm sorry, but you bought it already. Your name is on the line. And I'm like, no, 
year this is not happening. And so, you know, it for a while, it took us a while, but we did sign enough papers to where we were able to cancel it because we genuinely wouldn't have been able to afford it. There was no way with this, clean, this massive cleaning fee that was like 10 times the price of the timeshare. Um, but my long story aside, that's kind of like what we do with Christianity. We say like, here is this Christianity and you want it. You want to know my savior, Jesus. He's the best and he will always make you feel good and he will always be good to you and he will always, you know, make your life fuzzy and happy and lovely. And that is just not true. The Bible says many are the afflictions of the righteous, but God will deliver us from them all. It doesn't say that you're never going to be attacked or that there won't be attacks. It actually says you're going to be attacked more. So let's be open about that and truthful with it. And then it says that you should sin no more. Your lifestyle should look like Jesus lifestyle. So let's not hide that. Let's be open with that. But let's show them how much better our lives look because we follow Jesus with our life. That's the key. How much better does your life look because you follow Jesus? How much better? How much more? What about your life makes me want to know your Savior? What about you? Every part of you, your finances. What about, what, what about your family, your marriage, your life, the way that you hold yourself, the way that you speak, the words that come out of your mouth? Are they positive? Or are they negative? Are they filthy or are they clean? What part of, what, what about you makes me want to know your Jesus. That's the key. And that comes from the fear of the Lord. That lifestyle, that, that lifestyle of not changing, not faltering, not moving, that comes from knowing the fear of the Lord, standing in the fear of the Lord and walking it out and having it deeply rooted in your soul um, and not being able to escape it. I think that I used this analogy before, and I really think that this is what this is like. We, again, we, we, so we're, God is our father, right? And we know that, and that's good. And God is our father as his, uh, when he, when Jesus died, he gave us the right to be children of God. Praise the Lord. That is true. And so we say that we say, we call him father, father, father. Thank you, father. And then sometimes we call him daddy and we call him dad and we personalize it and all this stuff. And it's, that's great. I have no problem with that, but here's what can happen. It's like this. Let's say there's this man and he is the world, the leading um, financial advisor in the whole world. And this man, he is so wealthy. He has, um, he came from nothing and he made himself everything. And then he now does it. He now advises everyone in the world. The, the top people, the most well, Bill Gates comes to this guy to get advice on his finances, right? Like this is this guy. And so this guy, he has a kid. And he teaches his kid and he loves his kid and he raises his kid and he's super close to his son. And he just pours his life into his son and they play together and they, they've wrestled growing up. And this guy, you know, he just loves his son so much and they have this super tight, close relationship. And his son grows up super, being super close to his dad, loving his dad and all that stuff. And what happens is his son goes to get a job. He needs a job. 
And instead, uh, he's, you know, searching for a job, and he's trying to figure out whatever. And, and he should go ask his dad. Dad, what would be the best job for me to have? What should I do with my money when I have my money? But he doesn't ask his dad because it's his dad, you know? It's just his dad. And, and his dad is, you know, him and his dad, they have this good relationship, and they're really close. But, like, he's my dad, guys. And all of his friends, all this kid's friends are like, your dad. Like, can I spend time with your dad? I need to spend time with your dad. Your dad's going to make me rich. I need to be around your dad. And this guy's like, Psh, guys, calm down. It's my dad, right? Like, why are you making such a big deal? It's just my dad. And everybody else, he's like, you know, there's the dad's office, right? Massive office with the big window view. And everybody who comes in there, like, is super afraid. And they, like, knock and they're like, excuse me, sir. I would love a moment of your time. I know you're very busy. But this kid's like, Psh, that's my dad. Bust open the doors, run in his office, hang out. No big deal. We talk about whatever. And then I leave. Do we talk about finances? No, because he's my dad. We talked about my day and how I felt and what I did today and how, what I ate and what, how big a poop I took and all the, you know, like whatever. And I think that that's like what, that's what we do with God. God is our father, and we have this wonderful, amazing, close relationship with him that's good. It's really good, and that's how it's supposed to be. And we're supposed to identify him as our father, and we're supposed to be inseparable from him as our father. And we're supposed to know that we don't have to knock at his office doors, that we can bust them open, and we can run in, and we don't need an appointment, and we can, you know, all of those things. And that he, our, but, but what we need to remember is that our dad being that close, our father being God and him being that close to us does not make him any less the leading authority on everything. Any, it doesn't make him any less um, the God who parted the Red Seas, who killed all of those people and saved Noah and his family, who um, did miracle after miracle after miracle, who raised the dead, who, uh, you know, I mean, that's still who he is. It's just that that guy is your dad. So when you go into his office and you bust through the doors like you have a right to do, rather than talking about your day and your bowel movements, talk to him about what matters. Seek out his wisdom. Find out the things that he knows and he can impart to you. Dig into the, the, the depths of the wisdom that he has for you. Find it all. Don't waste, why waste time hanging out? When your dad is the creator of all things. And so, again, that fear of God, to have the fear of God, to understand that he is, this, how, to understand how great he is, fearing God doesn't put a distance between you. Fearing God brings you closer helps you understand who you really are as his child and what really you have access to as his child, what belongs to you as the ruler of the universe, the God of all's child who has never created, who has always been, who has walked with all men and known them. That's your father. So how do you get this fear of God? And, and um, with... One thing I really, really quick, I want to just mention, we did this, um, this really great marriage class uh, that 
uh, Bob and Renee Tripp led. It was really wonderful a few months ago. And one of the things they said was that um, in the videos that we watched, it was, it was talking about husband and wife relationships, and it talked about having respect for your spouse, and that if without respect for your spouse, how can you trust your spouse? And how, if you don't trust your spouse, then how can you really function as a, as a married couple? And I think the same thing happens with us with God. If you don't really respect the Lord God and you don't fear him and understand his greatness, then you won't trust him enough to receive from him. And it takes it this whole level. If he's promised you that he's healed you, then we should be, a, we should be afraid of not accepting that healing. Don't brush that healing off. That's given to you by the Almighty God. That's not, that's not something you take lightly. It's not something to be thrown to the side. This is a gift given to you by the creator of the universe who happens to be your father, and you need to open it. It's yours. You don't mess around. Um, you know, um, so because I'm running out of time, I could have taken two weeks on this for sure. Um, I have a list, a list of things, a shortened down list of things that belong to people who have the fear of the Lord. But before we get to it, I want to, so, so I need to make this known. How do you get the fear of God? How do you fear the Lord? You need to know how great he is. You need to know it. You need to know his greatness. Let his greatness become a part of you. Read about his greatness. And when you read things about his greatness, when you read the story about Noah and the flood, don't read it as like, oh, this Old Testament cute story. Instead, read it as really this happened. Really this happened. When he split the Red Sea, that really happened. And he didn't just do it once. He did it again at a different body of water. And they walked across on dry land. And that story in Joshua is my, one of my favorite stories in the Bible. Because then they took these giant rocks and they put them in the Jordan River. Because they said, we won't forget how great our God is. And that's the deal. Don't forget how great your God is. Remember how great he is. Make monuments for how the greatness of God is for everything that he's done, everything that he's done in the past, in the word, know them, know, the, know how great he is, know how honorable he is, how fearful, how the, the fear that belongs to him because he's done these things. And, and then remember the great things that he's done in your life. Make monuments to them, write them down. Don't forget them. Rem, keep them in your mind so that when you, when, oh, I'm tired today. I don't feel like reading the Bible. I don't feel like going to church. But then you remember, but this, but I serve the greatest God. I serve the God who has done this and this and this and this. I cannot be lazy today. Why would I let laziness and my feelings steal something that belongs to me from the greatest of gods? And so, so listen, here's a list of eight things. There's a lot more because if you just plug in your phone, fear of God verses, like 50 of them are going to come up and they all are connected to promises that belong to you if you're a person who fears the Lord. So listen, we're going to go through them because I haven't really brought up any verses to you and that's just not okay. This, you can't be at Pastor Mike's pulpit and not go through a bunch of scripture. So we're going to do that. Um, the first one is Characteristics of a person who fears the Lord, one, is that they grow in wisdom and knowledge. Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7 says, and I'm just going to read through these. You can write them down. You can whatever. You don't have to. I don't care. Listen, it says this. The fear of the Lord is the beginning, excuse me. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools 
despise wisdom and instruction. If you despise wisdom and instruction, if wise people have given you wisdom and instruction and you don't take it, then you're a fool and you do not fear the Lord. Okay, listen, Psalms 111 verse 10 says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. A a good understanding have all those who do his commandments. His praise endures forever. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Those who fear the Lord, what do they do? They do his commandments. They do. They are doers. People who fear the Lord are doers. Okay, number two. They hate what God hates. Proverbs um, chapter 8 verse 13 says, The fear of the Lord is to hate evil, pride, and arrogance, and the evil way. You need to hate evil. Do not get sucked in to compromising your values. If God says he hates it, then you should hate it because you belong to God and you should fear. You should be afraid of the idea of going against what God says to do because he is your God. You should have a, you should have a holy and a righteous fear of, go, of contradicting what God has asked you to do. He is God. He is your God. And if you have placed him as your God over you, if you wear his name on your chest, then we should be afraid of going against what he's asked us to do. Not because we're afraid we're going to lose our salvation or he's going to send us to hell because praise Jesus, it's not through works that we're saved, lest any man should boast, but because he's God. That's why. We should fear him and we should want to do what he said to do because he's God and he's great. And that's it. There's no other need. We don't need a, we don't need a, because he's going to send us somewhere bad. We don't need a, because he's going to kill us. It's because he is God and he's great and he's worthy to be praised with our lives. So they hate what God hates. We need to hate what he hates. Number three, they are free from sin. I love this one. I've got two verses. Oh, yeah. Proverbs 16, verse 6 says, In mercy and truth, atonement is provided for iniquity, and by the fear of the Lord, one departs evil. Now, I'm going to read it to you in the New Living Translation because I think it helps. It says, Unfailing love and faithfulness make atonement for sin. By fearing the Lord, people avoid evil. You know what I love about this? It shows the, it shows the nature of God. It, sh- it says, unfailing love and faithfulness have made atonement for your sins. Unfa- God's unfailing love and his faithfulness have, have covered your sins. They've washed your sins. But in that, in, um, in that atonement, in that cleansingness, in that freedom from sin, in that love, it says, avoid evil. Do not let this be a free pass. Don't let laziness sneak in because of the freedom that we have in Jesus. Verse, um, number four is they live long lives. Proverbs chapter 14, verse 27 says, The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life to turn one away from the snares of death. The fear of the Lord is the fountain of life. When Scott Stewart was here, he talked on this. He said, and, and he said so much, so many amazing things 
gosh, everybody should, if you weren't here, get the teaching. Um, but he said, a good parent puts restraints around their children. He said the definition of grace was, was it freedom with a fence around it, I believe? Freedom with a fence around it. That's the definition. That's the godly definition of grace. You live in grace. God has given you freedom, but he's also given you boundaries. He said, stay in these because I'm going to keep you safe. I'm going to protect you. I'm going to make sure that you live in goodness. And outside of my goodness is everything else. Just don't go there. It's what it's right now. We're trying to teach Jack how to not, how to listen when we say stop. Not because I'm trying to keep him from running, which is his favorite activity, but it is because he will run into the street. He doesn't like the word stop right now, and we're still learning it. And we have ways that we enforce these rules and these boundaries, ways that will not be recorded right now. <laughs> because we love him and want to keep him safe, and we want the best for his life. This is the, um, the number one thing I pray over my son is that he would have the fear of the Lord established in his heart. I pray this for him every day, multiple times a day. This is what I want for my son. It's the number one thing I pray over the, the youth ministry, the teenagers here at our church, that they would have the fear of the Lord established in their lives, in their heart. Because if they do, then everything else will be easy for them. They will flow in everything else. They will have healing. They will have wisdom. They will have everything else if they understand the fear of the Lord. The number one thing, and I recommend if you have children, for, it, for you to pray this over your children, that they would have the fear of the Lord established in their heart because the fear of the Lord is the root of all wisdom and knowledge. And don't we want our children to be wise? Okay, so they live long lives. The fear of, uh, like I said, Proverbs 14, 27 is the fear of the Lord is the fountain of life to turn one away from the snares of death. To fear God is the fountain of life. It turns you away from death. And in Proverbs chapter 10, verse 27, oh, I don't have the scripture written out for that, apparently. I'm not super great about using the iPad. But that's another good one. It has to do with... Uh, living long. So you can write that down. We can look it up later. Proverbs 10, 27. I'm not going to take the time to look it up right now. Okay. Number five. They are satisfied and evil cannot visit them. It's not that evil can't attack you. It says evil can't visit them. Let's read it in Proverbs 19, verse 23. It says, the fear of the Lord leads to life. And he who has it will abide in satisfaction. He will not be visited with evil. That one verse has so many things. You're going to be satisfied. It says that you will live in satisfaction. What does satisfaction mean? That to me, I want, if I'm satisfied, that means every area of my life is provided for. Every area of my life is good, is going well. Every area. That's the satisfaction that the Lord has promised you. He's promised me if we abide in the fear and the reverence of the Lord. Honor. There's so many words that you can use in replace of fear, but the reason why I'm not tonight is because I think we need to say the fear of the, the Bible says it's the fear of the Lord. And when, if, you, if you click on that word, it's not a mistranslation. It means fear. 
So we're going to use fear. But you can say reverence, honor, respect. All of these things are words that go along with it. Evil cannot visit them. Number six is they are rich and honored. Proverbs chapter 22, verse 4 says, By humility and the fear of the Lord are riches and honor and life. Riches and honor and life. Humility and the fear of the, out of humility and the fear of the Lord come riches and honor and life. Riches and honor and life. Do you want riches and honor in life? Yes, you do. So do I. What a coincidence. But then we need to fear the Lord. We need to have a holy and true and righteous fear of the Lord. Number seven, in Psalms chapter 34, verse nine, it says, Oh, fear the Lord, you saints. There is no want to those who fear him. Number Seven is they lack nothing. They want nothing. They want nothing. They fear, or I'm sorry, they need nothing. They are, it's all provided for them. Number eight, and this will be the last one. There's so many more, but it's because I don't want to run out of time. Number eight is they are friends of God and they are taught by God. In Psalms 25, verse 14, it says this. The secret of the Lord is with those who fear him, and he will show them his covenant. I want to read it out of the New Living Translation because I like that a little better. It says, same verse, Psalms 25, verse 14 says this. The Lord is a friend to those who fear him. He teaches them his covenant. He teaches you his covenant. When, um, if you've ever taught anyone um, in youth ministry, we've, I'm now, we've been doing it for, I think about seven years. I keep forgetting if it's seven, six or seven. Anyway, um, there's a radical, radical difference between when a student comes in and they choose to um, be honoring and have respect and want to learn versus someone who comes in because they're just here and they don't care. And I cannot teach those, those ones who don't have honor, who don't have respect, who don't care. Because the fact is, is that words um, get boring and it takes time and to hear a sermon and it takes time out of their lives. And if they're not, if they aren't, if they don't have the respect to give their time to listen, then I cannot teach them. And it's the same way with God. If we don't have the respect to give him our time and let him teach us, then he can't teach us. Then we're not his people. We have to fear the Lord. Now, here's the thing. When I list, when I read you that list of promises, those are all such good things. And we can get so caught up in like, okay, let me think about this. If I fear God, then I'm going to have everything really good. But that God will ask you to do things that you do not want to do. And the fear of God, that falls into the fear of God too. 
So if you're going to say, I'm going to be one who fears the Lord so I can get all of those good things and so I can be a pupil of God and I can be a real Christian and I can be a disciple and I can show the world who Jesus really is, then you need to be willing to also say, and when it makes me uncomfortable and when I don't like it and when I don't want to go there and when I don't want to be there, I will still go and be and do because I fear the Lord and I, am, I, am, I um, honor his name. There are a lot of people in the Bible who had to do a lot of things that they didn't want to do. Noah was asked to build an ark for a hundred years. He had to build a boat outside for a hundred years and be, not, and be mocked. Abraham was asked to sacrifice his son. Isaac walked around naked and barefoot for three years. Ezekiel was asked to lay on his side for one year. Talk about bed sores. Hosea was asked to marry a prostitute. And it's not just in the Old Testament that people were asked to do things that they didn't want to do. It's in the New Testament too. Ananias was asked to lay hands on Paul, who he, as far as he knew, would kill him as soon as he saw him and had been murdering all of his friends and people who followed Jesus. Paul was asked to go to a city where he knew they were going to kill him. And had, was also asked to keep going before that and be beaten over and over again. Every single disciple other than John was asked to be murdered in terrible ways. John, who wasn't asked to be murdered, was put on an island by himself to live out the rest of his days and write the book of Revelation. We could go on and on. There are so many people in the Bible who were asked to do things that when you read them, you think that does not sound fun. But they feared the Lord. They had reverence for the Lord. They honored the Lord. They understood how great he is. I cannot. That's why I liked that spoken word poem thing that we did during worship. I cannot paint a picture of the goodness of God with my words. I don't have words to do it. You have to learn him. You have to know him. You have to be with him, understand him, accept him, and walk with him. He is a great God, and he will show you his greatness, and it will be good. But he will also ask you to do things that are going to make you uncomfortable, and that's all part of it. But there are blessings on top of blessings. That's my kid. Can you hear him screaming? Awesome. Um, there are blessings on top of blessings on top of blessings available for you if you will walk in the fear of the Lord. I don't know what makes some children fear God at a young age and others not. Some children, see, two kids will be raised in the exact same home, in the exact same way, by the same good parents, and one will fear the Lord and will follow him through their youth, and the other one will go nutty. I don't know how you can make someone fear the Lord. I don't think, there's, I don't think it's possible. I think that all men and all children choose every day whether they're going to fear the Lord or they're going to um, ignore the Lord whether they're going to whether they will see him as their god and how great that what that really means the greatness of what that is or whether they will ignore it 
and live under false grace. Everyone has to choose every day. We see it, I think we see it with children and teenagers. It's such a clear, you can see it so much more. But it all comes down to choices. We all have to choose whether or not each day we're going to fear the Lord. Each day we're going to look at our lives and examine them and say, is there anything in my life that does not go in line with the word of God? Because if there is, then I need to correct it because I belong to God and I carry his name and he is real. I say this a lot. I say this a lot, but whatever. If you really believe that there really was this lady, this teenager named Mary, if you really believe that God impregnated her with a child and you really believe that he was born and you really believe that he grew up and that he died on a cross and you really believe that he went to hell and took the, um, the keys of death and sin and if you really believe that he, raised, he rose on the third day and if you really believe that he went back to heaven and if you really believe that he sent the Holy Spirit, then how can we not fear him? How can we not honor him and follow him and obey him? How can we not allow, it to allow him to affect and infiltrate every area of our lives? How can we not? But the fear of God is what will establish those things in your heart. If you do not fear the greatness of Jesus, the greatness of our God, and understand the magnitude of what it means to belong to and be the children of the almighty God who did all of these things, who always was and is and is to come and the greatness of what he's about to do that we get to do with him, then you're going to miss out and you're not going to create disciples because you'll, the only thing you could make is fake converts who are buying the fake timeshare. That's it. The only people who can make true disciples are those who walk in the fear of the Lord. And yet that's our greatest commandment is that we would make disciples. But we can't do it if we don't fear God. 